Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Christmas is this Sunday, 10 a.m. We'll have special music provided by the worship team as well as Wildlife Kids. And uh, it's going to be fantastic. We have a uh, rehearsal immediately following this service. So my Bible study will be uh, abbreviated just, just a little bit tonight. And we will also have our Christmas for Christ offering that we are asking you to bring at the end of the service. We're going to bring those to the front at the end of the service on Sunday. Pray over them. And this Christmas for Christ offering goes to the planting of churches in North America, which we believe in. And we will also have photos with Santa Claus. Santa Claus. He will be live and in person. And that will be one. And Mrs. Claus, too. It's going to be awesome. All right. So here we go. We're going back into Big Little Books. This is part three. This is Joel 2, and this is part 2, or 3, 2, part 2 of Joel 2. So let's say a prayer, and we'll jump into it. Father, thank you for big little books in your Bible, and I pray, God, that you would help us as we go through these verses, that you would help us to see the truth in them, challenge us. Thank you for what you've done in this service tonight. To God be the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So, last week, we really got into the power of repentance, and uh, man, didn't we have a move of God last week on Wednesday night at the end of Big Little Books? So, let's start by looking at verses 12 through 14, a little review, and then we'll introduce and move on. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, so rend your heart and not your garments, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will return and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So because they heard this warning that we talked about last time, you can go back and listen to it, God's people repented. And their repentance was not any less valid because they repented out of fear. They were scared of what had been prophesied. But their repentance was genuine. The most important thing is this. They turned back to the Lord and proved their sincerity to God by coming back on his terms. Everybody say his terms. Not their terms, but his terms. Sincere repentance means you turn to God and you turn away from sin. You're coming back to him on his terms. Sincere repentance means you turn to God with all your heart, giving him everything, complete surrender. And sincere repentance means that you not only uh, say you're sorry and, and you not only stop doing some things, you know, turn from some sins, 
But, but there's these actions that, that we see in their repentance that shows this authenticity. There was fasting that was involved and mourning, which included weeping. So you have action and emotion. And I would dare say that if action and emotion is missing from our repentance, we could question whether it's real or not. And remember, he said, rend your heart, not your garments. The Jewish culture was renowned for tearing their clothes. They were saying, I'm overcome with grief and I don't care how I look, so I'm going to rip this Versace gown or this Gucci, you know, I'm going to tear it all to pieces just to prove something that I'm sorry. But we all understand that you could do that as a show, go buy you another Versace gown or, or Gucci uh, outfit. Uh, the bottom line is this, that Joel knew that and he was saying, tear your heart, not just your clothes. That heart repentance is the stuff that matters. Charles Spurgeon tells the story of a woman who seemed to be in great sorrow saying what a great sinner she was, but Spurgeon was suspicious of her repentance. And, and he began to talk to her. Charles was a, a pastor in London, and this woman had come, and she was making this big show of what a sinner she was and how sorry she was. So he began to quiz her. He said, if you're a sinner, of course, then you've broken God's laws. He said, let's go through the Ten Commandments and see which ones you've broken. So they started with, you shall have no other gods before me. Spurgeon asked her, did you break that commandment? She said, no, not that I know of. And he said, what about any graven image? Did you break that one? No, sir, I haven't. And so he goes through all ten, and she couldn't find a single one that she had broken. And Spurgeon realized what he suspected was true. She really didn't consider herself to be a sinner. She just wanted to appear religious and sorry. So she had made this big open show. Joel understood that. That's why he said, you need to rend your hearts and not just your garments. Verse 13 continues, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. So this goodness and mercy understanding that he's good became the motive. You know, the New Testament says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. The Bible says that, that come let us reason. Let's figure this out together. Let's turn to the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, he can make them white as snow. And it goes on to say that he will abundantly pardon, pardon. I've thought about that because, you know, the governor has the ability to pardon somebody. The president has some, the ability to, to pardon somebody. Let's just say they're on death row. And, and, and that government official pardons them. Well, that person that's on death row is not going to fear the, the, the powers that be if they don't think there's a chance that they could really pardon them. But there's a fear, a, a reverence if they begin to understand. It might just be that that governor or that president will pardon me. Now that's something entirely different. And so the idea is Joel is talking about God's got all kinds of power. And it might just be that his mercy just overtakes you 
And so that's why they were able to turn back to the Lord. Ultimately, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 2, 4. The verses, uh, let's look at verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. It's again that shofar. But this time it's a call for everyone to come together and set time aside. Notice, consecrate a fast. It's what we're going to do in January. I told you last time, and just about any time I talk about fasting, I mention the word hideous. <laughs> I hate to fast. You know, one of the, one of the real downers of COVID-19 is you lose your taste. Oh, Benavides, man, he can't taste meat. It, it tastes bad to him. and He's struggling. He's, he's like a vegetarian now, and he's miserable. I can't even imagine. Thank God that wasn't one of my symptoms. Uh, but, you know, consecrate a fast. Set time aside that is, is used in seeking the Lord and fasting food. Get everyone together, not so you can all eat out, but everyone together so you can stop eating and seek the Lord. It's a holy fast, a consecrated fast. The word consecrate, it, it means holy. Set aside for, for our covenant partner. It's a return to the word and the words of the covenant. And, and setting the food aside is, is this way of getting rid of distractions and focusing in. I'm going to tell you something right now. Here's... Practical Christianity 101. You got orthodoxy and you got orthopraxy. Here's some orthopraxy for you right here. When you start intentionally fasting food, this thing starts coming alive to you. Isn't that crazy? Spiritual food begins to really get a taste, right? It, you start to acquire a taste for spiritual food when you set aside the natural food. And that's a principle Fasting goes all the way back to the garden. Did not the Lord say to Adam, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but fast this one. There's something about a fast, a holy fast. Look at verse 16. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babies let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Now we'll get to that bridegroom and that bride stuff in a moment. But look at this. Get all these people together. All of the people of God. Multi-generational. Young and old alike. Young and old alike. This is a multi-generational church. And I'm so glad for it. It's crazy because we've got an eye for the next gen. And, and we've got this youthful zest. And we've got this... This energy that's, there's a lot of youth, but there's a lot of gravity in the room because we have elders, we have seasoned saints, and I love that. I love that. That's a beautiful thing. Back in the day, it's just a bunch of kids. Me and Valerie were the elders uh, at 40, you know. But thank God now, I mean, like, I've, we've stepped it up a few notches since then, but we've, we've got some gravity in the room. I love that. Multi-generational, young and old alike. And then you've got this business of the, the bridegroom and the bride. 
Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. So you have this pattern of repentance. We saw it in Joel chapter 1 uh, about the, the fast being, being called. And Joel adds this idea uh, of the, the bridegroom and the bride. And, and here's the idea. God's people cannot carry on as usual. There's been a prophetic word. The locusts have come. It's a pattern of things to come. There's an army coming that's devastating because you guys have backslidden. So here's what you do. Call a fast. Who knows if he might turn around and, and, and change his mind. What, why, don't you, why don't you turn to him, see if he'll turn to you, see if he'll switch some things up. That's the idea. And you can't go on business as usual. Usually the bridegroom belongs in his chamber and the bride belongs in her dressing room. But now it's time to repent. And true repentance does not carry on with business as usual. It reminds me of Luke 9, 16 through 24. Where this guy, well let me read it. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. Is there anything but a fast? This is a great supper. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I asked to have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I, I just got a new car. I got to go test drive it. I asked to be excused. Still another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I can't come to church. So that servant came and reported those things to his master. The master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes and the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. He said, It's so. I've commanded it. There's still room. He said, Well, then go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. I say to you that none of these men who were invited shall taste my supper. It's the idea of there's something going on in the house of God, and you need to turn to him. It's not business as usual. It's the same principle with Joel. The invitation was there. Turn to the Lord and expect to see his goodness. You want to taste something, taste and see that the Lord is good. In verse 17, let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. It's, it's the idea of this. Leaders among God's people must lead in repentance. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. The, the leaders can't come with this attitude that says the people have to repent. I, there's, a, there's a local preacher that I've heard on various media outlets that will refer to his congregation as the people. And it's kind of funny. It's, it's a habit. But he'll say, well, you know, that's, you know, the, we need to let the people hear this message. And, and I get it, but it's, it's like a disconnect. Are you with me? It's just kind of a an awkward disconnect, like there's him and there's the people. And, and that's the mistake that cannot be made by the ministers in Joel. 
Don't say the people need to repent. Let the ministry lead in repentance. Don't regard yourself as something other than the people. You're part of the people. You're a servant leader. You're, you're, you're in the midst of the people. Lead in repentance. One of my pet peeves, i got to be honest with you guys, is when I go with you people... <laughs> One of my pet peeves is when I go to a to a church service, like I'm I'm a visiting uh, person, people at a church service, and I'm going to hear some highfalutin preacher, and and the music is playing and the the band is singing and there's worship going on and the people are just like giving it everything they got. And the presence of God is moving and there's energy in the house and the people are worshiping, including me. But the guest preacher looks like a statue. Sometimes on the stage. It's honest to God. It looks like they might as well be smoking a cigarette. You know what I mean? Just like. I don't know why I thought of that. But, <laughs> but they're just. They just look bored out of their minds, and they certainly don't look like they're... And then they have the audacity to get up when it's time to preach, and they're like, come on, somebody preach with me. I'm like, well, you weren't worshiping with us, you know, so can I get an amen from the people? <laughs> and I'm telling you, I've, I've given, I, get, I give a lot of leeway. I'm like, well, maybe he's tired. Maybe he's jet-lagged. Maybe he's old. Maybe he... You know, but then eventually I'm like, maybe he doesn't love Jesus. <laughs> I better move on. <laughs> Preach. Right. Oh, this is, uh, this is really, though, with these, the, the ministry here, you, you really have a beautiful picture of intercessory prayer. Praying on behalf. Uh, so you, I mean, you do have the priesthood, and he's saying you guys need to repent and and pray for these people that you're supposed to be serving, intercede, and and really the Lord gives these these priests some words to put in their mouths. So spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. These are rich prayers of repentance. So the priest, here's something you can pray, fella. Try to persuade God to have mercy on us. So it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Spare your people. It means they deserve judgment. All of us do. But we're pleading for mercy, Lord. And, and again, spare your people. They belong to you, Lord. They're still your people. This is your land. They're the ones called by your name. Do not give your heritage to reproach. It would be a shame for, for the, the people of this earth, the other nations, to look and say, where's their God? So, so the, the mercy of God it will ultimately bring Him glory among the nations. As the people call on the name of the Lord and He covers them, it's giving glory to God. It's a beautiful picture of 
of intercessory prayer. Verses 18 through 20. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. Look, then, so we have kind of an if in the verses previous to this. And now we have a then. It's an if-then statement. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer. And these are all cap lords. This is Yahweh. This is the covenant name for God. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil. You will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army that's been prophesied to come and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. This is the idea of the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. And and his stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. So the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. In other words, Judah can know that when God's people sincerely repent, God notices and becomes zealous and pities his people. In other words, he's motivated by mercy. He's moved by mercy to begin to work for his people. The idea is this. He was pulling in that northern army. They were working for him. In other words, the Lord was working against his own people, but when the people turned, he turned again. The if then, it reminds me of 2 Chronicles 7, 14. How can it not? If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then... Will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land? He said, I'll send your grain and send you grain and new wine and oil, and I'll remove far from you the northern army. So as Judah repented, and that's a spiritual thing. Repentance is a very spiritual thing. Rend your heart, not your garments. It's a spiritual thing. God promised to restore their material prosperity. And to defeat a very real, physical, mighty army from the north. Spiritually, they had walked away. And you know, the the natural stuff follows the spirit. Before anybody else knows that you've backslidden, the Lord knows it. Not by your actions, but by your heart. You check out inside before it manifests outside. And you fake everybody out. But the Lord knows. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. The Lord knows. They've left in their heart. What did Jesus tell that church? Was it Philadelphia? You've left your first love? And so... Spiritually, they had walked away. Their material blessings vanished. But spiritually, in their hearts, they were returning. And their material blessings would follow. I want to tell you this right now. When you're in covenant with God, let's let's just bring it right where we are. When you're in a covenant with God, and I'm coming to a close. Everybody say, oh, man. Uh, But when when you're in a a covenant relationship with God, 
You're marked. I'm just going to tell you, you're marked. Uh, can I just be straight up? When you're, when you've turned to Jesus with everything you've had, when you've been buried in water in the name above every name, when you've been filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, like an Acts 2.38 experience, that, that you, you can't take that out of the Bible, and that experience marks you in such a way, you, you've got a mark on your heart that you cannot escape from. And you can try. Trust me. I tried hard. I was, I was like Peter denying the Lord, cussing and saying, I don't know him. What are you talking about? But, man, I was marked. You're marked. And until you turn back, you just can't get away. I'm going to tell you, I can save somebody in this room a lot of trouble. You're wanting to run, but there ain't nowhere to run. You will never find peace that you're after. Everybody in the room with you can be partying, having a great time, living life to, you know, living their best life. In an agnostic way, in an atheistic way, in a hedonistic way. Going to the Burning Man Festival, man. Everybody's just going crazy. And they're genuinely having fun. And I'm going to say, it's not that you can't have fun. It's just when you lay your head down at night, you're like, I, I, I can't get away from this. I, you want to, but you're marked. I'm just telling you, you can't get away. You can't get away. That the hounds of heaven. And thank God for it, right? Thank God for that. Hey, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You can run, but you can't hide. The hounds of heaven will haunt you and hunt you down until you turn. And when you turn, I know a God who will abundantly pardon, shed his mercy on you. Shower you with grace and say, I'm going to restore what the enemy stole from you. Stand with me right now. I'm going to restore what the enemy stole from you. The Lord went on to say that this northern army, that he said, they've done monstrous things. But he said, now that you've repented, I'm going to do monstrous things to that army. Wow. Before God was working against them, now he's working for them. And I read somewhere in my Bible where it says, and if God's for you, who can be against you? I don't care how bad you've been. All you got to do is turn. And there he is. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I know that mark on you. That's my mark. You've been, mar you've been called by my name. You're my child. You belong to me. Now, I'm sorry. I've been running a thousand miles the other direction as fast as I could. I've done so many horrible things. Let me hold you. <laughs> Get over here, son. Get over here, daughter. 
Let your heavenly Father just hold you. I'm going to love all that pain and shame out of you. And I'm going to restore you in ways. He went on, I got to go ahead and spoil it right here. He went on and said, I'll restore the years that the, the locust and the canker worm has eaten. Come on now. He, he, you, you can't undo time, but God is bigger than time and space. And, and that seed that rotted in the ground and that never was sown and that fruit that overripened on the vine. He said, I'm going to restore it all to you. How are you going to do that, God? Because I'm God. I can just say, let there be. And I can speed the process up. I can do more with what you got left. Give God some praise right now. Give God some praise right now. What a mighty God we serve. I'm going to tell you. I just feel that i got to say this. The devil has nothing to offer. The world has nothing to offer. The flesh has nothing to offer. There is nothing that compares to what Jesus offers. There's no love that compares to what Jesus offers. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just every hand in this house, just raise it to our, our Lord Jesus Thank Christ right now. Today. Thank you, Lord. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.